This is Todd Haberkorn, Mr. Spock on Star Trek Continues, and you're listening to the Trek Geeks Podcast with Dan Davidson and Bill Smith. Let's get ready to podcast! Biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. This is the Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast. Welcome, one and all, friends and new fans alike. We're so happy you you're here. This is episode number forty four. I'm your co-host Bill Smith, and joining me as he does every single point of the episode is my friend, my co-host. You may not know it, but he's fresh off his world tour as the most successful Falco impersonator on the planet. He wants to rock you, Amadeus. He's the Austrian sensation, also known as Dan Davidson. Dan. Good morning. <laughs> uh, that's as best as I can do, man. That's it. <laughs> Thank you for yet another rememberable. Mem- rememberable? Memorable. Well, we established before that English is not your first language. Not my second language either. No, no. But it's good to be here. Episode 44. What the heck? Well, next week, as you know, we celebrate the one-year anniversary of having started this podcast. Yes. So we took a few weeks off here and there. We had a little holiday break. We had a little summer break. Uh, 44 shows in a year. Not too bad, my friend. And here we are. You know, doing still it haven't, too. Still haven't killed each other. Still, well, it's the geography thing. <laughs> <laughs> I can agree. You no, know, we have to thank everybody that has been downloading us ever since we started this. It's been a, a wonderful experience and a great ride, as I'm sure you agree, Dan. Absolutely. Uh, I I had no idea that where where we would be with this after a year, and of course we'll talk more about this next week. But uh, right. it's uh it's been awesome. It's been fantastic. <laughs> Your word, not mine. Yes, it has been. It's been, and and like you said, we'll talk about it next week. But I never had any idea what it would be like over the course of the last year, and I'm looking forward to the next year, starting with episode 44. Right now, <laughs> right now. <laughs> well, before we get into the meat of today's episode, which is a a conversation, um, Dan, why don't you tell the good folks at home how they can get in touch with us? Yeah, let's uh, mix it up a little bit. Uh, as always, there are a few ways to get in touch with us uh, on Twitter, Facebook, and Skype. Our handle is Trek Geeks, and you can send us an email at trekgeeks at starfleet.com, or you can leave us a voicemail by calling area code 508 784 1701. Plus, now you can join the official Facebook group for Trek Geeks, and that's called Camp Kittimer. Uh, just go to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer. We'll let you right in. 
And just remember, like we always say, any comments or messages you leave us uh, may be used in future episodes. Back to you, Bill. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> a future episode like next week in our one-year celebration. But this week, Dan, we have a conversation with a friend of ours that we finally got the chance to sit down with. Yeah, we've, uh, we've wanted to sit down uh, with this gentleman for a long time. We've had some great conversations with him off mic, um, and it was good to finally sit down and have a conversation for the podcast. He is a brilliant uh, director. Uh, he's directed a couple episodes of Star Trek Continues. He is an encyclopedia for Star Trek. Uh, James Kerwin, um, he directed Fairest of Them All and The White Iris. And uh, we have a great conversation to, uh, to let all the fans listen in on. Yeah, it was a it was a wonderful hour. I mean, we we talked with James a little bit beforehand, and you know, we laughed, and we talked a little about about Vegas, which we're looking forward to this year, and yeah. having run into him last year in Vegas, and um, it's a it's a great conversation. It's an overdue conversation. It's one we hope you enjoy this week. Um, so sit back and enjoy our discussion with James Kerwin. This week's guest and I share a common belief, and that is that Back to the Future 2 is a horrible movie on a variety of levels, and that everyone with a contrary opinion, including my esteemed co-host, is flat out wrong. That said, he is also the writer and director of the science fiction noir film Yesterday Was a Lie, as well as the sci-fi short R.U.R. Genesis, both starring Kipley Brown and Chase Masterson. Fans of Star Trek Continues, though, will know him as the director of two amazing episodes, Episode 3, Fairest of Them All, and Episode 4, The White Iris, where he was also writer and co-writer, respectively. He is our friend, James Kerwin, and we are thrilled to finally welcome him to the Trek Geeks podcast for what we hope is the first of many appearances. James, thanks for being here, man, and Happy New Year. Um, you're quite welcome. Thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, Happy New Year to you guys, too. It's, it's, hey, uh, let it's, me say this. Let me say this about the Back to the Future thing. Go. Oh boy. I oh boy. don't. I. I will never. I. 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 I do not. I will not say that anyone who disagrees with me is wrong. <laughs> I will. <laughs> <laughs> you can say that. I'll let you say that. But I just. I'm not going to go that far. <laughs> I, I will say it. In but terms I am not of, a fan of the film. <laughs> I will say it in terms of Dan, and that's really about it. Okay. Wow. <laughs> you like the third one, James. The I the third one is better than the second one okay. for me personally, uh, but neither of them come anywhere close to the first. Oh no, first without a doubt, awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's great to finally get you on here. Like Bill said, um, I'm going to hit right off the bat with a question for you, James, and and that is um, complimentary as well as a question. And that your knowledge of Trek, it seems to be encyclopedic. Actually, um, have you always been a fan of Star Trek, or was this something that you came into later in life because? Uh, I got to tell you, you seem to come up with details at times that most people will have either forgotten or never even realized, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I, I, I mean, uh, that's a funny question, because I was not a huge fan growing up. Um, I was a big Doctor Who fan growing up as a child, um, but I didn't. I watched the original series through. My dad showed it to me. Um, my first exposure to Star Trek was the films. Um, and uh, after, I think, around four 
um, my dad showed me the original series and I watched it through and, um, you know, I got into next gen when it was on and, you know, DS nine was, was, you know, I was in college around that time and mm-hmm. that was really my favorite. Um, but I was not like a huge fan, uh, until, um, until later, you know, I mean, I've, I've more recently become, become a big fan, especially of the original series once Vic brought me on to work on Star Trek continues, but it's a funny thing about me for whatever reason. I think a lot of people are like this. You like, remember when you're a child and you watch something, you remember everything about it. Mm-hmm. And then like, as you get older and you watch things and your, your brain recognizes that it's irrelevant information. So it just doesn't store that in the hard drive. But when you're a little kid, your brain thinks everything is important and stores all of it. So I just, I guess I happened to watch the original series and, and next gen at like the perfect time growing up because like I retained all of it. Wow. <laughs> so wow. It's all in there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I do have a, a kind of an uncanny memory of a lot of things in, in both of those series. So, so it, it's entirely possible that you could be the new co-host of a podcast, say called Trek geeks someday. Wow. If I ever replace Dan. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, there you go. I have to do. I deal with it every week, James. He's got this, you know, whatever. We just let him go with it, and then I give him his check, and he's all set. You know, James, you told me once before that you were almost an astrophysics major, but you decided to get your film production degree instead. What yeah. was it that made you change your mind? Because I mean, astrophysics is pretty cool, man. Well, I I originally went to school uh, to double major. Um, I wanted to do both. And at that point, you know, once I got into it, I realized that to double major in both of those things, I, I would be in college till I was like 32 or something (laughs) I calculated because, because they were completely separate disciplines and separate colleges at the university. And I would basically have to get two entirely separate bachelor degrees plus, plus the master's and doctorate in astrophysics. And I was just like, "Ah, you know what? I, I kind of want to get out into the world and start doing stuff. So I, um, I just decided not to at that point. Um, but I, but I, I did have enough for a minor in it. So I did minor in astrophysics and it, it is a, it is a real love of mine. So, um, uh, and I still, uh, I still, um, keep up with it as much as I possibly can. Wow. That's, I got to tell you, that's as a, as your normal everyday, you know, sort of, you know, it business geek, that that really is kind of mind blowing because I mean I think all sci-fi fans to some degree have a passing, you know, interest in it because it's space and we love, you know, exploration and all that. But that that really kind of takes it to a whole new level. I mean, you could have you could have been Neil deGrasse Tyson hosting Cosmos. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, uh, well, <laughs> all right, well, okay, well. Um, I don't know about that, but okay, sure. <laughs> Neil, Neil deGrasse Tyson's an astrophysicist, I isn't he? he? Was just like a, I thought he was just like a planetarium guy. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you're messing with me already. We're only like ten minutes in. Um, Feels like ah. Uh... Yeah, no. <laughs> so, how did you wind up becoming associated with Continues then? Um, well, that was uh, I had uh, been friends with Vic through Chase. Chase had been friends with Vic and Michelle for many years on the convention circuit. Because uh, she did, you know, Star Trek conventions, and he does. He has been long doing a lot of anime conventions, right? And a lot there's a lot of uh, uh, cross pollination there, and so they 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 did a lot of cons together and became friends. So I met Vic through her, and then when I was doing the RUR Genesis film a couple of years ago, it's a short film that we're uh, 
in the process of turning into a feature. Oh. Um, I used, uh, I, I was looking for somebody for a certain role in the film and I, I just couldn't find the right guy. And I was like, Vic Mignogna would be perfect. So called him and asked him and he, and he did it. And so he's in, he's in RUR Genesis. And then while we were shooting that, they were starting production. They had just finished, I think the first episode of Star Trek Continues and we're working on the second. And he said, hey, I'm doing a Star Trek fan film. You know, w- would you be interested in taking a look at it? And of course, I'm just like, uh, um, I gotta, I gotta go here. Uh, you know, I, just not, you know, I'm not that much into the fan film thing. And, right. and uh, not, not, that's not an insult in any way. I just, I had never really been into it. And, um, cause those that I had seen, I kind of, uh, they just didn't feel professional. Right. And, um, so I watched his first episode. I was like, holy crap, this is, this is real. And you, and he said, yeah, my philosophy was to assemble a team both in front of and behind the camera who are Hollywood industry professionals. This is what they do as their career rather than fans who've never made a television series or films before. Mm-hmm. I'm going to use actual actors and actual producers and actual makeup department leads and so on and so forth to, to create this and uh, who also happen to be Star Trek fans in, in, in many cases. And I was just blown away by it. And he said, would you be interested in, in writing and directing some episodes? So or it, first of all, it was just one. And that was Ferris. Then I did that. And uh, then they kept me on. So there you oh, go. That's pretty awesome. Uh, like you just mentioned, you've directed two of them, uh, both of which are vastly different in terms of the story. One being action and suspenseful, suspenseful with uh, Ferris of the Mall. And then with The White Iris, it's a very dramatic, tug at your heartstrings story. Um, yeah. As a director... What do you have to do when you return to a set and have to tell a story that's very different from the last one you did? Um, and does the fact that you help to write or co-write either of those stories help you get an idea before you start? Uh, yeah, I mean, writing it when you write it, when I'm writing at least, I definitely have um, an idea in my mind of how I'd shoot it. Um, so that that definitely helps um, just with the beats and everything. And, and you put things into the, at least I write things into the teleplay just as little reminders to me, Oh, do this, do this, do that when I'm on set. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as like the style goes, it's the style's really the same. I mean, Star Trek, the original series was shot in a very specific way. Um, it's not like a modern feature film. I mean, I'm not approaching it. You can't approach it like you're directing something in 2015 for mm-hmm. the big screen or even for television. It's just not, it's not shot that way. It was shot like a TV show in 1969. And so um, you're very restricted in what you can and can't do. You're restricted in your camera movements. Um, you're restricted by the frame. I mean, there's just there's just stuff they wouldn't do back then because they either hadn't thought of it or you know those those directing as a as an art form I think has made a lot of strides in the past fifty years. Um, and they were early on in television, you know, and so they didn't have a lot of the um, a lot of the stylisticness that modern directing has and, and editing. So um, you approach it pretty much, you know, you, you have to go into it. It's a, it's, it's a different discipline than directing anything else because mm-hmm. I'm not directing it for myself, you know? Right. So um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a challenge. At first it was a huge challenge for me to like filter my choices as an artist through the way things would have been done back then, you know, mm-hmm. and Vic would be on me about it sometimes. He'd be like, no, 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 no. That's not, they wouldn't do that. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you're right. Oh no, you're right. You can't <laughs> do that. 
And then after, but after doing it for a while now, I've become very accustomed to it. So it's kind of like, it kind of becomes second nature over time to just put your mind back then and pretend like you're John Meredith Lucas directing an episode and how would he do it? You know, right. where would he put the camera for the scene yeah. and go from there? So when Dan and I first heard about Continues, I think that one of the things that really impressed both of us was the side-by-side comparison video of Mirror, Mirror, and Ferris to the Mall. <laughs> and that scene was recreated, recreated in exacting detail, and it really sent a message to, to people like Dan and me that you guys really had some reverence for this material and these stories. I imagine that that had to be incredibly time-consuming and difficult to recreate, what was that process like? Um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was hard. I mean, we basically just screen grabbed everything. We kept copies of Mirror Mirror on our phones and iPads and stuff and, and printed out storyboards of every shot. Um, and you have to work with wardrobe. You have to work with hair and makeup. You have to work with the camera crew, the lighting crew to get it just right. And, um, you know, a weird thing about shooting Ferris of the Mall is, is that the sets for Star Trek Continues are basically fourth season. It's, it's, mm-hmm. It mimics what the Enterprise looked like at the end of the third season. The transporter room was purple. Mm-hmm. It had a certain little alcove on the side with a certain little thing on it. And it didn't have the view screen on that side, but it did have the big thing on the other side. And, you know, all, all those little specifics. Well, the transporter room was different in the second season and it was different in, in the mirror universe enterprise. So we're going back and telling a story about something that had happened two years before our current timeline, two years before in an alternate universe. Oh, wow. And so the ship had to look different. So there was a lot of repainting involved in rearranging flats to try to get the transporter room to look as close as possible to the way it looked in mirror mirror. And frankly, we did have to fudge some things. We just had to, because the way the sets are built, it would have been massively expensive and time consuming to, to make certain changes to get it completely accurate. So there, there are little tiny differences here and there. Um, but we shot around those and we did the best we possibly could. Um, so yeah, that was it. I mean, it's really just looking at it and recreating it and talking to Matt Busey, our brilliant DP who, who can just literally look at a shot and say, this is where the lights were. Yeah. And this is what type of lights they use. And this is how bright each light was. And this is where, you know, this is how I'll mount them to create that exactly. So that's what we did. It's, it's awesome because whenever I'm talking to anybody about Star Trek Continues, the first thing that I do is I bring them to the website and I say, here's what this, here's how detail oriented these people are. And I will show that video of the two minute uh, <laughs> end of Mirror Mirror and two minutes of Ferris them all. It's, it's brilliantly done. Um, Question for you, James. You touched on this a few minutes ago, um, but Vic obviously is the executive producer on Star Trek Continues. and He's directed a couple of episodes himself. Um, has there ever been any time when the when the, the your vision and his vision for a specific scene or shot um, you guys don't agree on? And what happens in a situation like that if you're running the uh, if you're directing the episode? Well, what happens in a situation? It, it's not common. It, it has happened occasionally, but. On any TV series, when that happens, the executive producers, uh, you know, is in charge. It's mm-hmm. it's his it's his thing. You know, directing for television is um, uh, who's <laughs> some uh, God who who was it? I'm trying to remember now. There was a there's a director. I can't remember who it was, but it, I just read this last month. Um, 
he's a very well-known feature film director and he's been doing some television and he said directing for tv is like being a traffic cop <laughs> it's like it's totally different it's 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 much more and he wasn't saying that in a deprecatory way because he enjoys doing it and he is doing it but it, it's it's much more um organizational it's much more like making sure this is right and this is right and this is there because the overall vision for the series has already been established. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that, you know, the executive producer sets the vision for the entire series. In this case, you know, Vic is simply, you know, he's continuing a vision that had already been established right. back in the 60s. So he's the person ultimately in charge of making sure that things look like they would have looked back then. And if we choose to fudge something and make something look a little bit modern, he's distinctly aware of that. And he, you know, he makes that judgment call. So it's my job as a director, it's any director's job when you're directing for television to come on and basically realize the, the EP's vision. You're, it's not yours. It's, it's, it's the EP's. And okay. so, yeah. So, and, and, and frankly, we think, you know, 80% of the time we're in sync on what we're thinking and, you know, and every once in a while I'll make a case and he'll be like, oh, you know what? You're right. I changed my mind. Let's do it that way. Um, but most of the time, most of the time, if we disagree on something, I'll say, all right, we'll, we'll do it. We'll do what you want. You know, so it's not, it's not, uh, it's not really an issue. I mean, it, it, it like, when any film director starts to do television, I think it, it's jarring at first because you're like, oh, mm -hmm. wait, like I said earlier, I'm not using my same tool set that I use if I'm right. doing a film. But once you get into it, you realize yeah. how it works. Have you heard of instances with TV directing where there is a contentious relationship and it causes problems? Because it certainly doesn't seem to be the case with Star Trek Continues. Um, if there are, usually those directors don't come back. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know. <laughs> well, seriously, I mean, no, there, there are. Sure, there are. I mean, I, I know a lot of people who work on, on, on television shows in, in major capacities out here, and they have stories mm -hmm. about, you know, a director who will come on, on and start doing something and the executive producer is like, no, that's not how we shoot this show. And, you know, it comes to a head and that person isn't brought back. So. Yeah. <laughs> but it's got to be that way because if, if every director who comes on to a TV series has a different style, mm -hmm. the series isn't going to feel cohesive. It's going right. to feel like an anthology rather than as a continuing storyline. And that's, it's a really important thing for audiences members to come back week after week and feel like they're in the same place, visiting the same people in the, in the same locations, continuing on the same storyline. It can't feel different. I mean, you can't start suddenly shooting from weird modern camera angles. It, it wouldn't right. work. Well, and I think that's one of the things that, that we appreciate about the effort you guys put in is because it does take the viewer right out if it doesn't match. I mean, you guys are looking at not only a story continuity, but a visual continuity that's now half a century old. Yep. And, you know, we, we've, I'm sure Dan, this is true of you too, but I've looked at other, you know, independent or fan films and said, yeah, they're wearing uniforms, but it doesn't really look like Star Trek. And yeah. that doesn't happen on continues. And I think that between that and the aspect ratio, I think that it just, it, it all comes together really perfectly from, from my perspective. Yeah, I mean, you, there, it, it's we, we have to be really, really detail-oriented, like OCD-level detail-oriented on the show. Because if you're not, little things stick out. And even if the viewer can't put their finger on it and say, oh, that looks wrong, subconsciously it looks wrong. And, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's the fit of a uniform, the material a uniform is made of, 
maybe a slightly different material than they used back then or a slightly different shade of blue and it doesn't quite fit the person the way those ones did. Or like you said, the aspect ratio, those sets were designed to be shot in 4.3. They were not designed to shoot in 16.9. You shoot those sets in 16.9, you wind up with a lot of dead space in the background. Or you wind up with things in the background that, that are not conducive to whatever you're trying to say with your given shot. And, you know, so all those kind of things, and even stuff like, you know, the, you know, especially the lighting that you see, you know, replicating the lighting style um, exactly that Finnerman used, and even graining it in post-production. Like, we grain these episodes. I mean, obviously, we don't shoot them on 35-millimeter film the way they were shot back then. That would be cost-prohibitive. Mm-hmm. Right. But we shoot it with prime lenses, that the kind that were used back then, and then we process the footage very subtly to you and, and put 35 millimeter grain on it the way that it was done back then. Um, so, so all that kind of stuff just lends itself to the overall feel, you know, uh, that, that this, this is a continuation of TOS. Did you have to spend time going back and, and watching TOS again to, to take a look at the angles and the motions more critically before you started directing episodes? Well, yeah. I, I mean, I hadn't watched TOS since I was young um, when Vic first asked me to do this. So I definitely, I had to get all of them and go through them um, because I, I, you know, I had, a, I remembered plot points and things like that and in, in, in insane details about like what's on this place and what's on, the, you know, what's where this planet is or whatever. But just the overall style of it, when, when I was a kid growing up, I didn't really pay that much attention to the way it was shot. So that's something that I had to do a crash course in before I did Ferris from all. How long did that take? Like weeks? Oh yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. When, um, it just, it blows me away. You know, it's, we've talked about many times how watching these episodes is like seeing the, the 80th, 81st, 82nd, 83rd, and 84th episodes of the original series. And to be honest, when I'm in the mood to watch Star Trek, I found myself doing this the other day. I punched up continues on my, my home theater PC and it was second nature. It's like, oh, uh, what story do I want to watch today? I'm going to pick uh, Ferris to the Mall. And I queued yeah. it up because yeah. it, it fits that seamlessly. Um, when we recorded our episode recap for White Iris, uh, we singled out the scene in Kirk's quarters where he talks to McCoy in the mirror is one that we truly loved. And we thought it was just executed beautifully. Um, that scene struck me as bridging character traits for Kirk that we see later on and like, Wrath of Khan and Final Frontier, where especially where he doesn't necessarily share his pain because he needs it. Um, how challenging was that to get the end result? I mean, we've seen those sets. They're, they're tiny, especially Kirk's quarters. And that's <laughs> yeah. a fairly complicated shot. Um, you know, it, it is, but it's not, Frank. I mean, we've got, we've got professionals working with us, you know? I mean, I, I tell Matt Busey, this is what I want, and he does it, you know? He likes it. He, he, I mean, you, you're, you're con- in those sense, you're constantly, I mean, and you guys were there. I mean, you're constantly moving flats around and removing yeah. walls and moving pieces of furniture to get the dolly into a certain place and stuff. I mean, that's, that's, that's how they did it back then. That's how we do it now. Um, yeah. uh, back then, they, they had more holes in, in sets than we actually do. Um, that they would cover with plantons. Um, we don't have quite as many holes that, that, as, as they do to, put, to peek the camera through. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, we'll just, you know, Royal Weaver, our, our great lead man in charge of our swing gang, we'll just um, we'll say, Royal, we need this flat removed. Take this wall down, you know? 15 <laughs> minutes later, the wall's gone. So it's, <laughs> it's, that's, how, that, that's how you do it. And, and uh, 
you know, that mirror, you know, Vic made that mirror, a perfect recreation of the mirror from, from TOS, from Kirk's quarters. Um, and I, I just thought it was a great um, kind of a metaphor for what Kirk was dealing with to have him talking to Bones, but seeing Bones only through the glass darkly, so to speak, as, as Kirk is the one who's talking. Um, that, was, that, was, that was fun to set up. It's a it's a scene that that I still look to as as probably my favorite in that episode, and it edges out um, the very ending uh, with the little girl just just by a hair, simply because of of what it means for Kirk. You know, he's as the central figure in that episode, yeah. and he's he's putting a lot of these things away in his mind, and that really kind of starts him on that process. Um, I I watch it over and over, and I love it even more every time. So kudos to you for that, man. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 we, we, that's one of the things like you, you mentioned is we, you know, we kind of have an advantage that they didn't have back then, which is that we know what ultimately happened to these characters. We know the journey that they continued on over the next 20, 30 years right. in the films. Um, so we can start to send these characters in that path. And, and we do that with Kirk and we'll be doing that with some of the other ones. And, and we'll just, you know, not, not huge. Hey, here's a massive shout out to something that happened in Star Trek four. No, but, but just, just the, the general direction that these people are going with their lives as they're, as they're getting into, into middle age and, and what they're dealing with. And uh, you know, why did Spock leave, take a sabbatical from the service to undergo Colonar? Why did McCoy retire? from resign from Starfleet right. mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the five-year mission. These are questions that, you know, the films don't really answer. So it's cool that we're continuing the original series. And we, like Vic has said, we are, we're planning to take it all the way up to the end of the five-year mission. And uh, being able to address some of those things is going to be a lot of fun. I think one of the things that I want to see during that you brought it up is, is whether they do it, whether, whether continues is able to do it as they're finishing up is, just Huber with a beard as McCoy was just would just be one of the best things to see on on the internet. So I'm hoping that that happens <laughs> with, with his with his big gold medallion and chest hair yes. <laughs> and yeah. a leisure suit. Yeah, the leisure suit in the seventies. The only man. thing that scene was missing was a disco ball. Yeah, totally. Those seventies uniforms, man. What were they thinking? Well, oh. it was the seventies. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's what they were thinking. So a little bit ago, we mentioned Back to the Future too. Um, from a Star Trek vein, I've for years I've held the the similar and widely unpopular opinion on the TNG episode yesterday's Enterprise that if Tasha goes back on the Enterprise C to the Battle of Narendra Three, no one on the Enterprise D should have ever known she, who she was. Data's memory cube, all of it gone. Am I wrong? Wait. <laughs> Wait, what? Say, say so, that again. Like, wh- so TNG's yesterday's Enterprise, Tashiar. Yes. You know, the timeline is um, screwed up, for want of a better word. Tashiar is back, and in order to set things straight, she goes back on the Enterprise C to the Battle of Narendra Three uh, to fight the Klingons, and right. then theoretically the timeline is restored. Right. Um, I maintain that. If she had gone back on the Enterprise C, um, that happened before the D. She should never have been there, and they should have no idea who she was after that. Why? Why would that wipe out what had already happened up to the point when she went back? Say that again. 
why, why would her going back in time and changing something in the past have any impact on what she had done on the Enterprise D up to that point? Because she was going back to a point previous to theoretically before she was ever on the D, she was alive. But at that point, she theoretically would be dead. Well, uh, <laughs> here, I think she needs to get back to 1955. Yeah. <laughs> Look, here's the thing. Here's here's the thing. Here's the thing. And now we're getting into some of the physics stuff, but that's fine. Look, time travel in Star Trek has never been handled particularly co- coherently. Um, it's it's messy, and in in all science fiction, it's messy. Right. And and the rea- the reality is is that. If time travel is possible, it theoretically is. We don't know for sure whether we can actually pragmatically do it, but theoretically we could. If it happens, how does that work? And there's varying schools of thought on how that would work. If you go back in time and change history, one of them, you know, the popular one in science fiction is the multi-worlds model of quantum mechanics, where there's multiple different realities. It's the J.J. Abrams idea. You go back and change something. You don't change that timeline. You branch off another one. Every decision you make splinters the timeline into into different potential quantum realities, and um, and they, they they all have their own independent existence in this, occupying the same space time as every other one. But you just can't. You can never cross between them. That's you know that's the Hugh Everett. Hugh Everett was the scientist who came up with that theory back in the mid twentieth century, and you know that's. That's very popular in science fiction. It's not a particularly popular theory among physicists. Um, uh, so there, that's that. <laughs> but but Star Trek, Star Trek. You know, I'm 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 all for using that interesting. Not it's not even technically a theory. It's a it's called a model um, because sure. it's not falsifiable or verifiable. So, um, but anyway, it, it, using that particular model of the way time travel would work. Star Trek does that most of the time, but then sometimes they don't. <laughs> sometimes, like in yesterday's Enterprise, something happens and it just changes your timeline that you're in. You know, well, mm-hmm. and then you have to. So that you know, I lo- look, I love yesterday's Enterprise. Eric Stilwell, I know Eric. He is an amazing writer. That's yes. one of the greatest episodes there ever was. I just freaking love it. But scientifically it doesn't quite gel with the way time travel is used in other Star Trek episodes. Like, like, you know what I'm saying? Like if, yep. if, if, if that had happened, why didn't that warlike enterprise D with Tasha still, why was it that just a separate timeline? How right. did, the, how did our prime timeline somehow get altered? Because, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't, it doesn't really make sense. So you can't really overanalyze stuff like that because if you do, it's not, <laughs> Well, the, honestly, you're going to poke holes right through it. I think that, that you probably brought up the thing that I should have led with was that, you know, it, it did change the prime line and the prime timeline and then changed it back. And that just never really set well with me because the rest of Star Trek just doesn't do that. Doesn't do that. It yeah. doesn't do that. You're right. You're right. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, every once in a while it will, but like, like, um, sitting on the edge of forever, McCoy going back in time somehow completely changed the prime timeline. Uh, you know, and so what, wait, what? And then other times it doesn't. So, like I said, you you just have to go. With, it's science fiction. You have to go with it and just have have fun with. You know, for me, whatever whatever tells the best story. Whatever you know, if, if this particular concept of time travel really is going to tell the best story here and really explore these characters, we'll go with that mm-hmm. one. That's you fair. know, and 
So, oh, um, hey, James, uh, buddy, um, I just want to let you know I love yesterday's enterprise. So, <laughs> there you go, Bill. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Appreciate it. Yeah, no <laughs> problem. Um, <clears throat> James, Vic has a habit uh, on Star Trek Continues of getting uh, his crew behind the camera some on-screen time whenever he can. We've seen lots and lots of, of, of the crew in episodes. Um, have you ever wanted to spend a few moments in front of the camera in an episode instead of being behind the camera as perhaps wearing, God forbid, a red shirt or no, something like that? Happen. That's not, that's not happening, dude. Never going to happen. huh? <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> Even gold or just just a red shirt or just anything i i i don't my place is behind the camera that's that's it <laughs> all right they have asked they have asked me to fill in and be crew a uh, crew member here and there from time to time i always say no no not happening wow okay that's interesting is there is there a particular reason you just like being behind the camera or is is it just something that you just really have never really thought about doing i'm shy i don't want to be photographed <laughs> Well, at least it's at least it's not Dan Dan's reason because Dan's just well, he's got a face for podcasts. Wow! <laughs> oh, oh man! No. Sorry, okay. buddy. I hear. I see what you're saying. All right, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean that's that's a good you know it, it's interesting because we do you know from time to time we'll 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 take a crew member who you know isn't working in a given scene or something. Hey, get 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 in a uniform and be in this scene. We, hmm. we do a lot of that actually in episode six. Um, occasionally we'll have somebody who become winds up becoming a more established recurring character in the story. Like for example, our Lieutenant Drake, a character that we introduced in Star Trek continues because we felt that the ship, we needed to finally find out who the chief of security on the ship is. That's something that you never really hear in the original series. So we decided to introduce a security chief and it's played by one of our co-executive, our co-executive producer, Stephen Dengler, one of the, guys who, who financed the series. Um, and yep. originally this, this kind of small role has grown into one that a lot of fans really like. Um, and as you know, in episode five, he, he, he plays a very key role in episode five. Yeah. Um, our Lieutenant Palmer right. uh, is one of our associate producers, Kat Roberts. Um, and she, and yep. her husband, John uh, does a lot of our set building, a lot of work in our art department. We brought her on for one episode as Lieutenant Palmer. Fans loved it. We've kept her around, so she's recurring now. So that happens too. It's kind of fun. We, That's great. It's we love the way that stuff like that happens. We've um, we go back now. And we watch episodes since we've been there, and we we obviously see people from the crew, you know, filling in yeah, spots yeah. in the background. It's like, oh my god, I know that person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so cool. we all know that you're a huge Doctor Who fan, as we talked about you know, before the show today. It seems to be a gene that Dan and I missed somewhere along the way. So if you were us and you were going to dive into it, where would you start? Because as a, as a neophyte, it seems pretty daunting. It's extremely daunting. Have, uh, that, this is a question I'm asked a lot, actually. Uh, where, what have you seen so far of it? I've seen... The there is there one Eccleston season? There was one Eccleston season. And yes. I've seen one tenant season. And I still okay, kind so of feel that's... slightly lost. Okay. Um how how uh how open are you to watching old sixties and seventies episodes that were very, very, very poorly produced? Very. But inter- but interest you're 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 opposed to that. Yeah. No, I'm I'm very open to it. Oh, you're very open to it. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Um, excellent stories, terrible production value through no fault of mm-hmm. the people who are making it, just through budget. Sure. Um, 
then um, then I would I would argue go back to the beginning and watch certain select episodes. And I actually yeah, I have a list that I gave my friends <laughs> that I've actually compiled of like the key episodes you should watch to really get a sense of what happens to this guy over time for over the past 50 years until you get caught up with where you are now. Okay. Um, so I, I would argue that that's, I mean, a lot of people say, oh, start with Eccleston, start with Eccleston. Well, that's great. But if you start with Eccleston, you're losing 40 years of history. Right. And you wow. are going to find yourself, particularly as you get into the more recent Moffat episodes, you're going to find yourself really not understanding a lot of the references because the show, especially under Capaldi has, and under Matt Smith, has really, there's a lot of throwback references now. A lot of okay. things that you kind of need to have seen something that happened back in 69 to understand what's going on now. Wow. So I, I, I would, I, I always tell people if you're up for it, go back to the beginning. You don't have to watch every one, but watch certain key ones. Okay. okay good to know. I, um, Bill actually, Bill actually has a little bit more um, Doctor Who experience than I do. I only watched a little of the Tom Baker years. Um, okay. I remember the Daleks is pretty much the thing that everybody else remembers, but um I have a, a daughter and a nephew who are huge fans right now. And I said, where am I supposed to start? And the information that you're giving is helpful because I really couldn't get a good answer. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that it's, it's Dr. Who is, is a very specific taste. And I mean, there are people who just don't like it and there's people who just not going to like it. It's, you know, it started out as a kid's show. It's still to a certain extent is a family show. And um, there's there's a lot of silly silly things in it that just you just roll your eyes at. Um, it's very different from Star Trek. The science in it is virtually non-existent. They just throw it out the window whenever they feel like it. Um, but there's something about it that's fun uh, for me personally and incredibly creative. Just the fact that they have no rules. There is no canon keeper. There is no in-universe you know, laws of physics. I cannot break the laws of it. He breaks the laws of physics all the time. You know, it's like you can, (laughs) but that opens a lot of creative doors. You know, it's definitely the most creative TV series I've ever seen. Um, So if you like that, you'll like it. If you like more sophisticated science fiction, you probably won't like it at all. So, um, All right. Excellent. Well, uh, I guess one of the last questions we have for you, James, is uh, what's up now with you? What are you doing now? Anything coming down the road that we could be looking out for? Uh, well, right now um, we're working on the post-production of episode six. Um, mm-hmm. We are planning episode seven and future episodes beyond that. Um, so very, very hard at work with that stuff. Um, outside of Star Trek Continues, I'm, um, I took the, uh, the uh, RUR Genesis short film that I did with Vic and Kipley and mm-hmm. Chase uh, last year. And we are, we have turned it into a feature script and we're, uh, shopping it around right now, talking with a couple of different financing companies and uh, trying to get that off the ground as a feature, knock on wood. So um, nice. I'm also working on that. Yeah. I, I nice. can't wait to see that because I saw the short, uh, I think you sent me the link, James, and it's phenomenal. I, I can't oh, wait you. to see a full feature of that. Thank you. Thank That'd you. Well, like I said, I, I, I keep my fingers crossed that it happens. Um, things in this industry often take many, many, many years to, to materialize, but um yeah. Uh, especially when you start with a short film and then say, Hey, let's, let's, let's expand on this. That often takes many years to actually materialize, but, um, we're hoping. Right. Well, best of luck with that. Um, are there any, uh, social media outlets that you, uh, that people who want to follow you can go to or, uh, or anything along those lines? 
Uh, no, I don't like people following. I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, no, it's uh, <laughs> just just my name on face facebook.com slash James Kerwin, twitter.com slash James Kerwin. It's just my name. Yeah. There and I got go. this MySpace awesome. thing. Well, it's really James, cool. Have you guys MySpace? heard about this MySpace thing? <laughs> MySpace. It's so cool. Oh, yeah. I think I heard about if that Tasha one. Had, if Tasha hadn't gone back in the Enterprise C, we never would have seen uh, MySpace. Right, Bill? <laughs> I'm going to kill you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I never liked you, David. Well, James, hey, man, we really... <laughs> We uh we really appreciate you coming on to uh to talk to us for a little while about uh Z done and Star Trek continues. Uh, we've oh, had you a know great what? Let me let me throw and, uh, let me let me throw let me throw one one other uh, uh little uh, uh um plug yeah. out there. Um, if you if, yes. if if your viewers like Star Trek continues, your viewers, if your listeners like Star mm-hmm. Trek continues, and they've enjoyed the first five episodes, and like I said, episode six is going to be coming out um probably April or May. Um. We are uh, about to start uh, and, and, uh, another crowdfunding campaign, an Indiegogo campaign. Indiegogo, where no man mm-hmm. has gone before. And um, <laughs> that's probably going to start around, uh, around late February. Um, and it's going to okay. enable us to produce you know, the next you know, three, three episodes at least. So um, keep your eyes open for that. Follow Star Trek Continues on Facebook. Uh, go to uh, um, uh, on, if you go to our website, you can sign up for a, a newsletter, a quarterly newsletter you'll get that will let you know whenever that happens. So, Star Trek Continues.com, Facebook.com, slash Star Trek Continues. Absolutely, we are on board. We can't wait for that thing to kick off. We'll be looking for it, forward to it. James, thanks for joining us. Bill, uh, any last words for the illustrious director here? Um, I, I didn't Don't know I was allowed to talk anymore, press. but. i'm just gonna sit here and be quiet okay all right well james thanks thanks for joining us i'm gonna let him go pout in the corner and uh we will catch up with you soon all right thank you guys thanks And Dan, we can't thank James enough for taking the time to come on the show this week. He is the kind of guy that, honestly, we could get on one topic of Trek, and it could be the most minute of details, and the three of us could talk about it for hours. Absolutely. Uh, there are two things that I took out of that conversation with James. Yeah. One, if I screw up an episode title, I'm going to know about it real fast. <laughs> And two, it is now my lot in life to get him to appreciate Back to the Future 2. <laughs> That's never going to happen. never going to happen. <laughs> we would have an easier time getting you to appreciate the animated series. Probably, Which yeah. we will have to do at some point. Uh, and it yep. sounds like James is the perfect person to talk about it with. Yes, I agree. I agree. It was it was great to talk to him. We, we talked about the fact that we um, got to have a great conversation with him one night when we were down south, and uh, and it, it really is amazing to listen to him and see how his mind works, both as a Star Trek fan, a Star Trek um, encyclopedia, so to speak, and as a director, because I think they all mesh together when we're having those conversations, and it really is it really is amazing to get that view from someone um, who has made these episodes and made them brilliantly. What fascinates me is how his knowledge informs his writing and his directing. 
you know, we talked about how he's had to look at it a lot more differently since he started directing and go back and watch for the nuances. And since then, I've gone back and I've started watching it differently because it's like, oh, I know what that part of the set is and I know what this part of the set right. is. And it, um, I appreciate the process a whole lot more, if that yep. makes sense. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I'm glad that I talked you out of going to talk to him when he was working on his computer that day. <laughs> um, so am I. <laughs> that would have been ugly. That's a, it probably would have been a very short trip. Let's just say that. <laughs> yes. Well, Dan, what's not short is our 50th anniversary celebration this year as part of our Trek 50 campaign. Yes. And Absolutely. so we've gotten a few more voicemails since we talked about this last week. Why don't you refresh everybody's memory about what we're trying to do? Yeah, uh, we basically want to get everyone to contact us and let us know their first memory of Star Trek. Um, we've got a special page set up at trekgeeks.com. If you go to trekgeeks.com slash trek50, uh, you'll get a good description of what we're doing and how you can participate uh, in this special event, we're going to have a special um, uh, podcast coming up later this year, which is going to have everyone who calls us and leaves us voicemail is going to be in the podcast to tell us what it was like their first memory of Star Trek. Uh, so go to that site, uh, trekgeeks.com slash trek50 uh, and scroll down and you're going to see a nice green button that says start recording and uh, you can leave us a message of that memory uh, and we want to hear it. Um, Tell all your friends, have them all do it. Even if they just started watching a week ago, that's still a memory. So let us know what it was all about. And for mobile users, if you're on your iOS device, you may need to download the SpeakPipe app. You can download, you can do that from the App Store. Or if you're an Android, you're going to be prompted to use your voice recorder, uh, which is part of Android itself natively. If you'd rather not use either of these methods, you can always call our phone number, uh, which 508-784-1701. I had a mind blank there for a minute. That's okay. And you can leave us a message. And remember, please, standard voice and data rates apply if you're using your mobile device. And of course, the fine print, anything you send us um, will be used in a future episode of Trek Geeks. And all submissions become ours. Yep, absolutely. One other thing I'd like to point out is... Um, we would ask that you keep the messages to at a maximum of three minutes um, and just make sure you let us know your name and your location as well as uh, that story of your first Trek memory. All year long, practically. So, you know, all through, or at least for the next eight months or so. <laughs> and, and I have to thank you, Bill, because I don't think I could listen to you for eight months without interruption. So for all of these people to come in and give us these messages will be kind of therapy for me. So thank you in advance. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I think I'm not, not thanking sure. them. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so I'm just going to sit here and be quiet. No, no, you're mellifluous. <laughs> I still don't think you know what that word means. I I don't know. I know what it means. I just can't pronounce it without almost screwing it up every time. <laughs> I think it's the margarita talking. <laughs> um, speaking of talking, um, we love to talk to you guys about five year mission. Oh, yeah. Our friends, the band, all of their original music based on episodes from the original Star Trek series. We desperately want them to be the house band at the big Vegas convention this summer. So please tweet or email CBS, tweet or email Creation Entertainment. Say, hey, we want Five Year Mission back as the house band. And while you're at it, swing on over to fiveyearmission.net. 
shell out some quatloos and get yourself a copy of Spock's Brain or Year One or Year Two or Year Three or Trouble with Tribbles. Please, just really, let's get this done, people. Quatloos. Awesome. Quatloos. Awesome. (laughs) But for now, this has been episode 44 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We hope you all live long and prosper. Hi, hi, hi. This is Dan Davidson. Um, I'm in uh, uh, Yarmouth, Maine, and the first time I drank coconut coffee, I got to tell you, it's it's something that I'll just never forget. It was it was so good and tasty. I think we were we were at like in a horse carriage, like in a field or something like that. It's a coconut coffee, people. You just all got to try it. Thanks, Star. Thanks, Truck Geeks. Love you guys. Bye. Bing bong. Bing bong. What's up? What's up there, Chief? Oh, hold on. All right. Hmm. What's the matter? Fix my sound. Is there a problem with it? Yeah, it's not going through my headset. So how do you how can you hear me? Through my computer speakers. Oh, right, right. Speak. Woof. Oh, that's not it. <laughs> now let's try. Woof. Oh. Pretty caca. Why did that change? What's going on? Talk to me, brother. Hi. That's what I'm talking about. See, it's the one time I didn't say woof. Now it's like I'm hearing Barry White in my headset. Oh, yeah, baby. (laughs) Can you dig it? Uh, Got another Trek 50 voicemail today. Did you? How many we got now? Uh, I've lost count. Cool. Not a a vast amount because we just barely started, but yeah. Uh, Chris Condon sent us one. So. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. I actually signed into the Trek Geeks email today because I saw that somebody had put a note on Facebook about their thoughts on the new voyages episode. Trey. Yes. Yeah. So I decided to log in and read them. I can't wait till we talk about that episode. <laughs> I, I'm looking at that one now, actually. I, yeah. uh, that that episode had so many things wrong with it. It's not even funny. I couldn't. I, I watched it twice. I still can't tell you what the story was about. Yeah. And oddly enough, I saw somebody post that same thing on another Facebook group. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah that that'll be that'll be something to talk. I, unfortunately, we're at the point where we will compare everything to continues, and nothing's going to get to that level. So there's always going to be problems with it. I think that. There are other episodes of New Voyages that have been okay. 
I do want to watch the one that had Michelle and Vic in it to see how it is. I haven't seen that yet. Uh, Katoomba. Mm, mm-hmm. That one overall is is not bad. Yeah. You know, uh, there are you know some obvious differences. You know, especially with Ca- James Colley's Kirk. Yep. Or Brian Gross's. Yep. Um, neither of them really has, in my opinion, the gravitas. Agreed. Sort of presence that that Kirk should have. Yep. So, but Katoomba is a good story. I think that's what separates it from the holiest thing. Yeah. All right. I'll have to check it out. The other one was the Mind Sifter episode. Was that any good? I started watching it. I just never got a chance to finish it. I know people who love it. I did not like it. Okay. I'm only like 10 minutes into it. I, and, and that Kirk is, he's way too young in my mind. He's even younger looking than uh, Chris Pine. Mm. Well, that's like you said, he slouches in the command chair. Yeah. Yeah, he does. Yep. I did say that. And you remember that I said that. And you work with that, I just, son. I'm not, I'm not your son, dad. <laughs> I love doing that line. Son? Yeah, Peter Weller in In the Darkness. That's yeah, I know. So- I'm, I'm surprised Pike doesn't go. You know what? If you don't, you can call me. If you call me that one more time, I'm going to come across there and I'm going to punch your effing mouth loose. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a next generation sweatshirt on? I do. That's nice. I saw that. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> That's great. It's a command red, if you will. Yes. Now all you need is an enterprise model to come across the camera and you can start singing for me. Deep Space Nine. <laughs> Not Deep Space Eight. Wow. Here's to you, man. Come on down to <laughs> the promenade. And go to Quarks and... I was going to say, you know, some root beer. (laughs) Wow. It works in root beer, but not Kira. It is every other character on the show, for God's sake. I don't think Brooke would like that very much. Uh, Tell me about it. Uh, I'm telling I am right now. All right. Jeff. What? (laughs) Huh? I got pretty cock. I got pretty cock out. Hey, so did you see they're going to reboot 24? Yes. Without. Kiefer Sutherland, but with Jack Bauer. Yeah. I, uh, okay. What's what's the point? I don't know. Uh, jump the shark, maybe. Are they going to give him Kiefer Sutherland's oddly shaped ears? Also. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, the first time I watched Twenty Four with my wife, because I'd been watching it at that point for a while. Uh huh. But the first time I watched it with her, she pointed out his ears. Yes. And now I can't see anything but Kiefer Sutherland's cauliflower ears. Yep. They are odd. But you know what else is odd? He's going to have a cooking show, I heard. What? Yeah. He's going to be in the kitchen, and he's going to be cooking stuff. And if he has a problem, he's going to be, damn it, Chloe, we're running out of time. Oh, Jesus. Yeah? Huh? Huh? You want to try not screaming into the microphone so the levels aren't at 130 million decibels? Sorry, I thought that was funny. I just thought of that just now. I I, I hate Chloe <laughs> on Twenty Four with a passion. But that season where Edgar died, yes, I was hoping it would be Chloe. Wow, I would have loved the slow countdown with no sound for her. 
It's like, ah, oh, just kill her off already. Yeah. Damn and it. And then she was all goth in, in the London version. Yeah, okay. <laughs> like, I'm buying that. She's only goth 15 years before it you know, was a, a thing. Or 15 years after, I mean. All right. Well, London's a little slow. Huh? <laughs> Say what? Oh, man. 